This week on Nineworks Radio, we speak to Evo Magazine stalwart turned online content creator, Henry Catchpole. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks, with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners. Andy, how are you? Good morning. Very well. How are good you? Good morning. Good morning. All good. All good. Very, very well here. Uh, gents, it's a pleasure to be recording with you again. We have a, another, well, awesome guest coming up on today's episode of Nine Works Radio. Thank you very much for listening at home. So, boys, what have you been up to in the past week then? Anything Porsche related of note? Oof. Of note? No. Uh, editing podcasts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, so we'll move on swiftly from that one. Then. <laughs> I've been doing quite yeah. a lot of driving. Have you? Yeah, yeah, I've been dailying the 991. Oh, check you. Uh, so I have done quite a lot of miles, actually, more miles than I've done um, in quite a while, just regular, you know, regular business miles, a lot of time in the car, you know, doing, you know, using the 991 for that, you know, chameleon of a 911 that it is. <laughs> you know, I've been, you know, punching stuff into the sat-nav, going off at rush hour, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, whilst the BMW's in the garage, Mandy's using the McCann, I'm in the 991. Nice. It's first, it's first world problem, but it's good. You know, it's nice doing that sort of thing because I don't do yeah. as much as I used to. Yeah. I did drive mine last week, actually. I drove it on Friday, drove it to work and back. But that, that was go. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cracking. Okay. Uh, well, look, a couple of um, snippets of news to share, first of all, because I think it's always good to uh, dive in on that. The first one relates to uh, Porsche PCCM Plus, which you'll know, of course, uh, it's currently available as a double DIN unit on the 996 and 986 Boxster. Porsche Classic revealed to us on this podcast earlier this year that PCCM Plus is set to be unveiled on the 997 as part of the 997's induction into the Porsche Classic scheme in 2023. But it appears certainly with current supply and products that there may be a little bit of a hitch. It recently came to the attention of Nineworks that no PCCM Plus units were available. And when pressed, a dealership said that any unsold units had been recalled by Porsche. Now, Nineworks Radio had a chat with Porsche GB to get some further clarification on this. And the reply was as follows. You can be assured the functionality and operation of your PCCM Plus, if you already have it, and those are the cars of all our customers, is completely fine. There is currently a temporary limit on supply of new PCCM Plus units, but centres can continue to take sales inquiries ahead of availability returning to normal. I have asked to follow this up when Porsche GB expects uh, availability to return to normal and why there is a temporary limit on new PCCM Plus. So we'll have more on this in a future episode. Uh, the other piece of news certainly coming out of Porsche GB is the uh, sad announcement that Sarah Simpson, CEO, uh, has stepped down from her role at Porsche GB, Porsche Cars GB and the retail group. Uh, Jonathan Manel is taking over on a temporary basis. 
it means that Porsche Cars GB is actually looking for what will amount to its fifth CEO in just over five years. Uh, prior to Sarah Simpson's appointment last year, we had uh, Marcus Eckerman and Alexander Polich and then Chris Kraft before that, of course. Uh, it's it's been a funny old post, really, considering how kind of important Great Britain is as a territory to 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 Porsche. Um, not had a, the greatest amount of kind of stability at the top there, really. Yeah, Ooh. difficult one. Difficult. Maybe I I can I put the hand up. I'm up for it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're up <laughs> for it. Yeah. Sort it out, Andy. Yeah, yeah, I'll sort it out. Yeah. No worries. Imaginely, if Andy was at the helm of Porsche Cars Great Britain, all the press cars that'd be coming out with the with the graphic at the side, the, <laughs> the, the signature Brooks graphic <laughs> on the press fleet. That'd I be think, something. I think they should uh, put those stripes like along the bottom of the building of every Porsche dealership in the UK. <laughs> uh, it would smart up a bit, wouldn't it? They're always well, it, bland. It, it would, uh, yeah, definitely. It would certainly kind of turn some heads. I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. And finally, some news coming out of Porsche Club GB with the announcement of the club's Porsche Christmas at Bista Heritage. Uh, open on Sunday, the 11th of December, Porsche Club GB is expecting more than 3,000 cars to descend on Bista in what it claims will be one of the largest car events in Europe this winter. Nine months will have a presence there. We'll communicate a little bit more of that nearer the time. Uh, but Porsche Club GB promises unique entertainment, all makes the models to be welcome and a Christmas market and stalls will feature as well. Again, the club says you can bring the entire family, including the dog, with tickets available from PorscheClubGB.com. Uh, we'll move swiftly on and it kind of ties in with our guest today. So, guys, I would like to ask you both, journalistically, who is your idol? Who's somebody that you look up to? It's a difficult one, isn't it? It is. It is a difficult one, especially with um, our guest coming up. Up, um, I mean, uh, yeah, we've got a, a fantastic guest coming up, and uh, he's he's got to be close up the top there, isn't he? But anybody that's worked on Evo really is in a similar boat. So, who's my biggest journalist? I was going to say, was this prior to when they all left? Because it was like the Mary Celeste at one stage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah, what the original sort of crew back in the sort of late two thousands to yeah. 2010s onwards yeah um i've always enjoyed chris harris's stuff and i think he's rightly got to the popularity where he's you know with top gear and stuff like that um i think the what was the website called was it driver's nation driver's republic driver's republic i mean that was just pure brilliance for me it was um so I, I wasn't really aware of his stuff before that in magazines, but I'm going to, I'm going to stick with yeah Chris Harris in that time frame was when I thought he was fantastic. He, you know, he was knowledgeable, interesting. Um, but now he's become a bit of a comic guy with the other guys. Unfortunately, it's kind of probably, yeah, killed my view a little bit of him because he's kind of had to had to do that um not not downing on him but you know the, the circumstance really that's what he's had to do so yeah. yeah that 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 time frame chris harris was yeah it was gold for me yeah excellent no, excellent max that's a good one i mean for a long time i you know i was i'd zero in on people i was looking for people who you know before i owned a porsche before i could even drive 
you know, I'd read a lot of car magazines, as, as everyone knows, and end up zeroing in on people who uh, who were forming my view, I suppose, because I didn't have any of my own experience of these things. And and that was through writing style and what seemed like gravitas in their opinions. So they became my barometers of what, you know, formed my opinion. And back in the autocar days, uh, I have to admit that Chris Harris was one of those, you know, when he was road, road test editor at Autocar, you know, he was very much one of those people, mm -hmm. as was Stephen Sutcliffe, um, you know, a couple yeah. of great, great writers. Um, and then they both, especially Chris, did some of the really early video content that i saw you know when chris was still at autocar before he went off and started doing the other things so the, there was those guys but also um richard meaden i have to say yeah um you know there are some particular things that dicky wrote which you know people talk about you know it sort of takes you into the story or you know you feel like you're in the car and that sort of things and there are certain things i can still think of that dicky meaden's written one was when he raced maserati at the 24 hours of Nürburgring um that was amazing uh when he did the skoda octavia thing at bonneville that was also amazing and also there was something that he wrote when they did at evo they did um they were doing their anglesey hot laps thing and they did the 488 gtb when that came out and the the copy that goes along with that i thought i thought i was in the car um <laughs> you know it, it was writing of that genuinely of that quality a lot of yeah. people say that i don't always agree with it but um i think he's a he's a pretty special writer i have to say brilliant max i think i think that's the role of a good journalist is to be be able to take people along with you yeah, yeah. I, I really do you know and, and and especially in a an aspirational title such as evo you know a reference to its halcyon days it's it's you know when you when you buy that magazine or when it kind of flops onto the doormat it's uh, a slice of escapism yeah you know, as i've said before possibly more relevant today than ever before i know other people you know think otherwise but just you know we're so tech laden now and, and i know there's a different medium with with videos that can perhaps provide that but um uh, i don't know I, I would argue still that a magazine can be just as visceral because it allows a little bit of your imagination to take over you know which yeah. is always a little, a little bit of magic to that but I, I really do yeah yeah no, I, I do you know with, with that in mind i do feel there is a responsibility on the journalist to put you in the car with them you know and you're you're road testing it with them obviously they're giving you their direct feedback and whatnot but uh it, that's that's a real art as well to be able to do that convincingly yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The best writers can do that really well. And in fact, just September it was, so quite recently, when I was going to Paris to see Biffy Clyro, I got a copy of uh, of Evo because it had a sort of classic Evo uh, story in it, like a, an Evo of old uh, in the south of France with the Cayman GT4 RS yeah. and the Lambo and an, an old, which again is a classic Evo thing. They'd got hold of an NSXR. Uh, Ooh, as well okay. from, oh, yeah. from from an owner and was there a fourth car i forget but so the the cover was that classic south of france mountain you know hanging on the side of the mountain road picture and it was jethro writing it yeah and i was reading it on the train out to, and i hadn't quite finished it as we pulled into garden Nord. and i and i really had one of those oh, i kind of really want to finish this so <laughs> i don't don't want to put it down yeah. and Jeff, given Jeff where Jeff we are in the world stuff, uh, today and the access that you have as i've said before the way you and i met lee as we're getting off the train i sent him a little message jethro a little message saying i'm part way through this this is bloody brilliant writing yeah um and he sent a little one back saying thank you but it's, it's great that's a great article yeah yeah like this is it you know 
we've said before on the podcast, you know, you always remember your favorite magazine features and that, you know, um, a lot more than you ever remember your favorite social media posts or anything like that, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. things we consume by today instead. But, yeah. um, yeah. So no, what's you know, yours I, then? Yeah. So, you know, I, I have to be really honest, um, with you guys and, and say my kind of, uh, some of that I have always kind of looked up to and certainly admired within the automotive sphere is the, the, the subject I interviewed today, Mr. Henry Catchpole. I, I just feel completely captivated by his writing like you know always mm-hmm. have done and, and and i think the way he's transitioned into his videos i think is superb because it's a totally different trade completely different yeah and just because you're good at one it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be you'll be good at the other but i think henry has successfully managed to kind of do both um i remember him sort of starting at evo and thinking oh, little young upstart is he any good and th- thinking oh yeah he is good this is going to develop into some real good yeah i mean what what appealed what appealed for me was in in the evo days i would read a catchpole feature even if it's about a car that i had absolutely zero Zero. interest in you know because i was interested in 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 the feature and and where he would take us as the reader and it goes back to max what we're saying you know taking us on that journey i think Mm. certainly within the realms and and we talk about you know evo in those halcyon days I mean, how lucky were we to be completely blessed by a full team of just elite automotive journalists? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, ludicrous, really, when you when you look back on it. It's so difficult um, to pick one out. You know, you, it, you it is. Us it to is, pick yeah. one out. It, it and I, I, I almost want to retract my answer because they were all amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, f- for me, I think uh, the, the reason that I kind of would just like to share my thoughts on on Henry there is particularly with regards to road trip features. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought he was excellent for taking you on that journey. And it wasn't always about the car, you know, the every, everything else, you know, the journey, the environment, the weather, the road surface, the locals, the architecture, absolutely everything would be built in. And you, and you would, you know, you'd get to the end of those nine pages and, and you would feel like you've driven an F40 through the South of France. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah. And I think, again, there's a real, real art to that. Um, yeah. I only actually bumped into him a couple of times. I'm sure I'll mention that on the pod later on. Um, only, yeah, met, met him a kind of a couple of times o- over the years, really. But uh, it's great to see that transition from uh, written word into this kind of video realm that we're all kind of used to now, because I really do feel quite strongly that, that is to the benefit of absolutely everybody who just loves cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And just, just, Thinking back to the point I made about, you know, Harrison Sutcliffe and Mead and forming my views, they became like the uh, barometer. And I thought, particularly with Porsches, which is what I was looking for, I thought if they like it, then I like it kind of thing. You know, before I ever <laughs> drove a Porsche, you know, that was that was yeah. what they became. That's what I mean when I say they became my barometer of what was good and bad in the world of Porsche. Henry, actually, when he did um, his Carfection video on the uh, 991 GT2 RS, um, I'd already decided that that you know in my you know fantasy world that, that i live in that would not be a 911 that i would buy you know too much too too intimidating not my cup of tea but his video sort of changed my view the way that he articulated it and described his feelings about the car i thought god you know maybe maybe i would like that um <laughs> you know and and i've watched that video many times and i'd implore people to go and have a look at it if if they haven't seen it it's it, it's really high quality stuff Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, well, look, with, with that in mind, shall we get uh, Mr. Catchpole on and have a good old chat about cars? Yeah. 
welcome Henry Catchpole to Nine Works Radio. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Good morning. It's absolutely fantastic to have you along. I think it's probably fair to say that all of our listeners, be they UK or international base, uh, will will know you uh, from your um, your your decade at Evo and what seems like a really successful transfer into YouTube content creator. Um, well, so still baffles you know. me, but there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's 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 a real pleasure to uh, to have you along. It was an interesting sort of catalyst that came from it, you know, that led to me um, running into you at Bista. But it was this little sort of initiative that we have on 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 the podcast that Andy came up with called Spread the Love, where we, you know, everyone sort of highlights. Uh, well, it can be anything, but it's often a YouTube or an Instagram. It's, not, it's normally or, a coffee shop, isn't it? Or for me, it's quite often a coffee shop or some kind of. <laughs> it should other, be right up your street. Other, other niche, niche thing like that, and and for 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 Andy, it was that video that you um, put out on Carfection four years ago now with yeah. Pierre Nicholas in your terrifying what looks like a terrifying <laughs> ride with him um down in the down in the south of france so yeah andy you were really captivated by that weren't you i i think i've watched that video maybe 15 times now it's one <laughs> that i keep going back to every few months because it's just captivating i mean um jean pierre is just amazing he is yeah yeah so i'd love to hear the backstory of that video it was it was one of those invites that I think it's sort of sometimes quite hard to say so this is how really odd, but it's quite hard to sell to an editor because, you know, I'm not going to drive a car. Yeah. Um, you're just going to, and you're, I mean, you didn't really know what was going to happen down there, but Porsche, it's, or the Porsche Museum has put on this event to um, celebrate the Monte Carlo rally um, and said that there would be various people there. Um, and it was just the most sort of, incredible sort of event that was incredibly hard to actually capture stuff from certainly from a video point of view it's one of those things yeah. that's much easier to go and go and come back and then write about it which i did for evo as well um but went down there armed with a couple of gopros because there was no room for a videographer or anything and the, just the sort of to the, sit there and then um had dinner with uh, vic elford the night before and they'd done a special I'm not sure Fantastic. if you remember it. You might have, might have seen it in, I think it's ended up in the museum. Uh, they did a 911 uh, Crow T uh, with sort of decked out to look like his Monte Carlo winning Yes, car. they have seen that there. Yeah. 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 Um, and so he drove that um, and I sat next to him for the first sort of leg up from Monte Carlo uh, in the morning. And um, it was this wonderful thing. I've got a, a photo somewhere um, that I took this sort of, one of the ones that's actually sort of tickled me that he was, he had his walking stick um, <laughs> at the time, but also had a pair of absolutely um, bright white Alpine stars. Right <laughs> um, so he was sort of dressed, you know, there was this sort of the element of, you know, the, the old man from up, um, there was sort of the, a little bit of the element of that, but with these Alpine stars boots on, it was just, just perfect. And he was, um, fascinating to obviously sit next to. And then we got up to the, the top of the Turini, uh, where there's that sort of restaurant and there's a sort of the big area, um, yeah. up the, up the top there, uh, when obviously still go through and you've, it's that bizarre thing where they come through from the darkness and then this, it's all sort of light in that square and there's everyone standing there and then they sort of disappear off down the, um, Turini again. And we all swap cars at that point. And that's when I jumped in next to, uh, Jean-Pierre Nicolas, uh, who obviously won in 78, which yes. I think is the last time that Porsche won at the Monte Carlo rally. Um, and 
he was obviously a privateer when he when he won, but anyway, they got his car there. It's a, a fabulous Gitan uh, sponsored. That livery uh, is yeah, amazing, car. isn't it? It's so cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Tuthill had a, a a car that was sort of um, um, aping that, um, not with, with a slightly different spelling to him. Um, yeah. Not upsetting one. Um, they used to take up to their ice driving um, up at below zero. Oh yes, looks look really cool. Um, although it looked a bit funny with the big arches and the really skinny um, yeah. tires on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I digress. But jumped in the car, and we all, we'd all been given these sort of wonderful um, uh, sort of, I suppose, route pace notes uh, with the tulip diagrams and that sort of thing yeah. uh, for the route that we were going to do. And I got in the car. And he sort of levered himself in, as you as you said on the podcast. He sort of, you know, every bit of his seventy-seven years or whatever, um, as he got into the car, and then looked across at me, and we sort of between my French and his English, we sort of communicated. And he looked at this sort of me holding these these notes, thinking, right, well, I really got to make this work. And he sort of he looked at me, no, you 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 put those away. Put them all <laughs> <laughs> And I can see him actually chucking well. him out the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and he just proceeded to set off at an absolute rate of knots um, down the road. And we've been chased by the other Almiris car, uh, the the red one, um, which um, was there as well. So it was just in this amazing two car convoy um, for the next forty five minutes or something. Um, and you say it on open public roads, which yeah was the most terrifying bit about it. Just because, <laughs> yeah. um, but he seemed to have some sort of sixth sense. Um, I'm going to go with that. Um, <laughs> sort of, and um, and uh, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. It, absolutely incredible. It looked terrifying. Yet The most amazing experience at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And it was, I was aware, I, I suppose it's, it's one of those curious things in this, the job that I do that, I was very aware that it was an amazing thing that I was experiencing. Yeah. And I therefore wanted to be able to capture it and, and, you know, have, have something to put out and show people yeah. what, what was happening. Um, and so I was desperately trying to sort of, um, make sure all the GoPros were sort of working and I couldn't do anything about the one that was over his shoulder, obviously. Um, but there was one behind me which kept turning around to try and check was still, blinking away with its little red light and filmed something <laughs> with my camera which didn't work at all because obviously it was handheld and oh, um, such a curse isn't it blurry mess but um but yeah we got enough and the sound was you know we drove i think the entire time with the windows down and you know amazing roads down there with all the the rock faces and the sound of that flat six um yeah. Was, yeah just incredible that car oh, sounded fun. epic oh, absolutely epic oh yeah. to, <laughs> considering that's just a was it did he say it's like a standard three liter sc engine yeah because yeah because the other car um had an uprated engine but he wanted the the standard engine he didn't want it too highly tuned because he wanted um you know wanted to be a torque biased engine basically so the the roads road trim essentially suited um the way that he well essentially the way you want to drive on a rally a lot of the time sort of particularly i suppose back in the day where you know, nowadays it's slightly different because you, you have the pace notes are so detailed that you're driving the road almost like a um like a track really um so yeah. you know what's coming but back in the day i imagine it would have been a, a certain element of of wanting to be able to rely on the tour particularly out of all those hairpins i suppose on the monty as well yeah yeah so yeah, absolutely. yeah. 
Yeah, the um, thing thing that struck me most, I've watched it a couple of times again recently, is since since Andy mentioned it, you know, other than, other than, although I knew you'd got to the end and walked away, I was convinced there was going to be an accident, <laughs> yeah. even though I knew there wasn't going to be, but was his gear changes, particularly down the box, super yeah. smooth, and yeah. that can't be an easy car to change gear as quickly and as smoothly as as he does. It's really, it's, it's captivating. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been yeah. amazing to have a pedal cam, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. That was that was one of the things that I did did I was trying to film on my sort of shaky hand camera. Yeah. Sort of, so I've probably got some footage somewhere, but um uh yeah, it just wasn't I had to commit that to memory rather than um yeah. rather oh, than what an amazing yeah. Um I was watching it again as yeah, <laughs> I'm addicted to that film. Um I don't know if you've watched it and noticed that there was a, a workman, I think it was about eight just eight minutes, and he's there. <laughs> You can see his van on the corner, and then there's this workman dressed in fluorescent stuff going, slow down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, all I'll say is that obviously, I, don't, I can't remember how long the film um, runs to now, but um, or the, the clips that we put out, but yeah. there is a lot more footage. And we, we cut out certainly the, the best bits because obviously some of it was going through towns and stuff and he was, yeah. he was perfectly sensible going going through there. But um, yeah, perhaps some of the, the moments that um, um, we thought he might might not have sort of attracted the right attention we could take <laughs> out. So it, it um, is so always everything you see there is 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 the edited highlights. <laughs> yeah, amazing. yeah, it's it's always difficult, but you know, particularly on the public roads and whatnot, to get that balance right between trying to entertain and provide content that is captivating and people will watch versus you know actually being a respectable and diligent citizen abiding by road laws it kind yeah. of gets tougher and tough particularly with like modern machinery you know because modern machinery they're not really designed to stop at 70 it's <laughs> certainly no. in this country no it's um it's certainly a challenge um mm. it's why we end up using tracks yeah you know, more for stuff um not which which is a shame because i you know i love driving on the road it's it's a um and that's where the cars are designed to work and that's where you learn so much more about them most of the time but yeah we have to be um very careful about what we show and we generally are in the films as well we tend to sort of do all sorts of things to make sure it it has that air of being exciting which we can do with editing obviously a lot of the time mm. but um yeah generally actually i i, I am very I, you just have to be very respectful of yeah. the speed limits and everything sort of uh, yeah. 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 yeah 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 how um how have you found the transition henry from like being predominantly a writer and it's interesting on your instagram you still uh, you know self-described as a writer i, I thought that was quite interesting you're predominantly known for video work these days as, as far as i can see but um that that is a, it's a different craft and a different art and i always kind of ascertain it to be similar to it's a bit like asking a chippy to be a sparky <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know so how have you found that transition it's been it's been a long transition which i think I, I think I must have been one of the last sort of motoring journalists to get into the business purely as a writer because that's that's when I joined Evo. Yeah. That's that's all I was going to do. It's all I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be able to write well and, and write for magazines. And it was sort of there was no, there wasn't really any sort of websites or online writing either at that point. And then it's just gradually sort of transformed. So obviously the web stuff came along, and then 
I remember the, we started doing a bit of video and I just didn't like it. I, I think like an awful lot of people sort of I, um, didn't like looking at myself on camera or hearing my <laughs> own voice and, and all these things like anyone else. And it was only because I realized that it was that period when, um, so Jethro and Dickie and uh, Chris all went off and set up um, Drums. Oh, the Republic. The Republic. And, oh, I always forget what that's called. Yeah. And it was, and it was such a, it was a great idea and it was a really um, lovely thing. We sat there and they were doing bits and bobs of video in it, obviously, because Chris was uh, involved and everybody at the time, I mean, sadly for them, I think they failed just as the iPad came out, but the iPad yeah. thing came out and everybody was saying that was going to be the death of the magazine. And it was all seemed to be doom and gloom, which I now realize sort of with the benefit of slightly longer in the business that, you know, the, the, I think we will for, for, forever be saying that magazines are, uh, dying and um they still seem to somehow keep going um but it seemed to me like if i wanted to have a career then i was going to have to make the jump i was i was too young at the time not to try and mm. do the video stuff so just gave it a go really and it, and it was something i enjoyed i enjoyed the output and once i'd worked out that you could do sort of you know you, there was nothing holding us back really from actually creating some pretty cool looking stuff. And I used to watch like the mountain biking videos or the skiing videos and stuff, which always seemed to be shot in a much more sort of cinematic way. So I thought, well, let's try and bring some of that to um, the, the car videos. And yeah, I try and minimize my involvement in the films as much as possible in some respects in terms of an on-screen presence, but I have to be there. So it's, it's um, um, yeah, it's, and I think the, to sort of answer your question, I suppose more directly, I think the, the grounding in the writing has really, really helped me with the videos because it, for a start, when you go on a launch, um, you always had to think fairly quickly about sort of how a car was behaving in order to obviously assess it. And it's just, it's a very accelerated process in terms of filming with that because if you turn up and I never prejudge a car because you can think, oh, it's, it's going to do this. It's You look at the spec sheet, that's what it will probably be like. But a lot of the time it's not actually. So you have to yeah. react to what you find. Um, and I think in terms of, I tend to do a lot of my um, sort of my work, I suppose, is after the shoot because of that. So I won't script stuff before I go on a shoot. Um, I might have a vague idea about an intro or something, but generally it's it's then the voiceover that I write afterwards. And obviously the writing helps with, with that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, the discipline as well of being on a magazine where you know that your peers um, or in my case you sort of your, your heroes certainly to um, you know sort of are going to read the stuff that you've written and a sub-editor is going to look at it and if you get stuff wrong if you put in facts and figures that aren't right then it's going to be thrown back at you and you're going to be asked if you sort of really want to be there doing that job and so that then informed very much how I approached the, the videos and was a very good just a very good basis for thinking right you you do all the research you can you really sweat the details and 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 make sure it's um yeah you you involve yourself in the in the writing of it so i still do a lot of writing um over and above i suppose the the presenting if that makes makes sense yeah yeah (laughs) and do you feel any sort of weight of responsibility having having made that transition and putting out this really good content, knowing that people will look to your online content if they really want to understand 
how a car works, you know, if they want a critical assessment of a car as mm. opposed to a, you know, a race against a milk float or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you, are you sort of conscious of that in the way that you would be when you're writing an Evo? Uh, yes. I think I've always tried not to be in a way. I sort of try not to think about it because, um, well, I think it's just quite quite scary. Otherwise, you <laughs> sort of like try and you know conceive of the number of people as you see the sort of the, the numbers ticking up underneath a, a YouTube video or whatever. Um, and it's difficult to, you know, like I say, sort of think of all those people out there watching it. Um, so you just try not to and and just ignore that. And it's just you know me in a car with a camera, and and you have to. I suppose what I've got better at doing over the years. Um, and again, I was you know, lucky having grounding that I did that I, I trust myself generally now to sort of, yeah. you, you, if you're thinking something about a car, go with it. You know, I've done enough, enough of the legwork now and driven yeah. enough things that, you know, trust your instincts with it. And, um, and you can only say what you feel and, and, um, yeah, it's likely to be right. And sort of, you know, if a car is doing something, that's what it's going to do. So you just have to report that. So if you, if you stick to the, I think if you stick to the facts and, um, then you're on pretty solid ground to be honest. So you try to be objective and and I've always tried not to be, it's a, that weird blend I'm sure you found of of sort of the blend of the objective and the subjective. So, and you must always base it very much in the objective just yeah. with a sprinkling of kind of how I feel about it. But otherwise, if I, if there was too much of the stretch in it, I'd never drive the cars that I sort of didn't like, you know, the sort of, the, yeah. you'd never go and drive a, you know, a big SUV or whatever, which might be really interesting. It might be fantastic and give you this awesome feeling of superiority and actually you might enjoy it for, you know, and see why people buy them. So you've got to go and do it. But, um, but yeah, stick to the objective and yeah. can't go too far Absolutely. Yes. Automotive journalism 101. And, and it's really refreshing actually to hear that's still kind of alive and well, Henry. Uh, I think I, what I really admire about your videos and, and your work on screen is your very relaxed demeanor. And, and yeah, exactly. As I said, there's a calmness to it and it's really refreshing. Um, and you, you can, you can tell that your background and certainly your values hail from journalism. Mm, Uh, and without kind of falling down the rabbit hole of that versus the you know hey guys you know youtubers (laughs) and you know this car's great because it's been given to me for the day and stuff um it's it's really kind of refreshing and and i feel that your your presenting style is really easy to warm to but i also feel like your reviews are authentic you know you hold the car or the person or the company to account which Mm. that 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 is journalism (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I think it's it's really important isn't it i think with um and we're seeing this sort of switch i don't know or sort of it's, in this day and age i feel like we we all whatever it is that you know you read about in your spare time you want um or i i want um you want the truth don't you you sort yeah. of you look for it more and more and we, we know that there's so much stuff out there on the internet that you're not sure if you can really trust sort of you know it's even yeah. in the news you know you're looking at well do i trust oh. this is this person saying you know so you have to um stick to that for it to be yeah enjoyable and and acceptable and um yeah i think that's 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 what it is and sometimes i think even still i get people saying that i haven't held cars to account enough and it's probably 
there's probably an element of, of that I'm not as critical perhaps as some people but equally I, I'm lucky in that the cars I'm driving are generally pretty good in this non-sort of and yeah, I tend yeah. to I probably look for the best in cars a lot of the time because fundamentally there's also there's not a lot that's bad going on in the world and um, I'm quite careful to as I said before not hate on something just because I'm not particularly enjoying it you can generally tell if I'm it's not something I'm particularly into but yeah, yeah. but equally it seems pretty churlish to kind of not enjoy the um yeah you know, certainly the good bits of everything uh, so. Yeah. so whilst you maybe get a bit of heat and that's a classic sort of keyboard warrior thing isn't it to say oh you haven't yeah. been you know mean enough about that you know but do you think that, that the people who lend you the cars you know because you get you know multi-money multinational manufacturers lending you cars and also much smaller um mm. you know boutique manufacturers do you think they're offering you cars because they want that critical assessment they're confident in, in their product and they're looking for that or just do some people come to you and say oh Henry what what did you say that for it's not very nice <laughs> um well I, I hope they always go in with sort of eyes wide open as to that's what I'm I'm about and they i Obviously, I always talk to them as well. It's very rare that somebody will come and just, you know, we'll see the, the bigger manufacturer's car might just be dropped off or you don't really have any interaction yeah. um, with the engineers. It's always always try to talk to the engineers on launches and stuff. And even if even in that case when, you know, you, you might find that there's something, you know, you feel carding such and such and you go and talk to the engineers and obviously it won't have been in the, the press back or whatever you say it does do that doesn't it sort of it kind of did you struggle with and they'll you know nine times out of ten they'll always say yep yeah you you're completely right about that that sort of we struggled for it with it because of this or we couldn't fit the wheels that we wanted on that model or or whatever it is um so again and the more that that happens the more you have confidence in your own ability to assess a car and with the smaller manufacturers i'm always you know you, you talk to them and you say, yeah. you know, this is, and I'll often be with them throughout a shoot because they'll be there and they might even be helping out um, with some of the filming. And I'll talk to them and say the things I like and things I don't like. Um, and that's what I say on the film. So there's generally, I hope, no surprises for them because, mm. and they'll always ask for feedback when you deliver a car back. So I'll say what it is that I like and don't like because yeah. uh, it's it's not fair to them otherwise. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an yeah. important part of the process. I think you know. I think they certainly, if if their attitude is correct, you know, they they should want that feedback from you. You know, and, and there's, there's little to be gained from an exercise where you tell them it's great when you don't think so, and then you do a video saying, "Well, it's great," you know, because then we we slip into this world where everybody's doing videos and just saying how great everything is, and then yeah, you know, it, it muddies the barometer of what's good and what's great and what's not. Yeah. Exactly. I, th- I think sort of, I mean, you look at um, the, the Gunther Works um, cars, which, mm. uh, and I drove two of their cars, or their, their two cars as it was at the time. Um, and the original, the, the, the coupe, um, which I I loved the way it looked, and I loved it way more than I thought I was going to actually from yeah. the, the sort of original shots I'd, I'd seen of of that. Um, it's amazing, but, different looking car in real life, isn't it? So it I, is, was over, yeah. I was over in LA for Luft. And, and went to the Gunther Works oh, wow. party mm. and uh, saw all the cars there and they're just so much smaller and yeah just they look cartoon tunish when you see them in <laughs> pictures do. but in real life they just look right yeah 
Yeah, I think that's and there's really lovely work that goes into those sort of amazing rear lights that are sort of, yeah um, carved from one piece of um sort of one red block acetate block. Um, but I the way that that drove felt to me well like you'd expect really those massive front tires and the wider track you know square track yeah. basically um all round and it, it it was obviously very fast and it's done extraordinary times around Laguna Seca and all that but it it had lost almost too much of its 911 mm-hmm. about it and the, and and all the grip meant that the motor didn't actually sort of feel like there was sort of, it needed more power as they've obviously yes. now given it um so i wasn't particularly um effusive about that it was still great still enjoy it it's difficult not to enjoy something like that as i say up on the angeles crest but then i jumped into the speedster and that was brilliant and that was just there was something about it the engine was slightly different and just the slightly more relaxed nature of the suspension in that and it was something they say completely different to anything i'd um, seen before so that was um yeah that was that was ace Um, and so i hopefully well, then there's no point me giving the praise to that if I haven't, you know, got to be nice and shady. Yeah. It's yeah. very interesting if you watch those two videos in combination to see that, um, you know, that sort of journey through the, through the cars, you know, the feeling of grip over tactility um, with the fixed head car and then how much you clearly enjoy the uh, speedster mm. in a slightly different way. It's, um, it's really interesting. Oh, I think we've got a frozen Henry. Oh, am I frozen? Oh, there we go. Sorry. <laughs> You're back. You're back. You're back. So th- thinking, Henry, about, you know, this work that you're doing now, looking back to your foundation at Evo, when 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 you joined Evo, if I've read your sort of bio right, you know, going through work experience out of university, how do you, or what was the process of learning to assess cars? Is it through osmosis just sitting and spending time with other people or was there a sort of process of henry this is this is how you do it this is what you're looking for things like that um i think it was it was more osmosis um in terms of i obviously got to drive stuff when i was first at evo um but it was it was always you know you start off on the 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 minis and the the Renault Clios, um, one of which I own now, and you just gradually work your way up through all of all of the, the, the sort of cars. But I was I was lucky because I um, I suppose when I started out, I would I would always take the jobs that nobody else wanted to do because I just I was happy to be there. And one of those was running the timing gear, which was through this um, even at that point seemingly ancient and rubbish laptop. Um, and it was uh, V box an early V box. So I learned how to use all that and sort of disseminate the data from it. And that meant I would always go and sit next to Dickie or John or Jethro uh, when they were doing laps and doing the testing. So that was, and if you, if you're all right sitting in the passenger seat, which thankfully I was, then you could earn an awful lot, obviously about just feeling how all the different types of cars are moving. Um, you know, you can sit in a, a Koenigsegg and feel what it's like, um, as the engine sort of goes up through its power spikes and <clears throat> or sit in a Mitsubishi Evo and understand how that moves around. And the fact that you seemingly just don't break anywhere and it, it four wheel drifts and you just stay on the throttle and it, it's all those sorts of things. So if you, and if you want to learn, 
and I was just you know an absolute sponge for you know I was in my dream job so Absolutely, you do just yeah. start to learn all these things and you read everything so every time I drove a car a new car I then obviously go back and if I you know, couldn't remember then um, understand you know read read their reports of it or their reviews of it so that I could see, oh, right, okay, that's doing that. Or if I didn't get it straight away, you'd go back and go out and drive the car again, hopefully, if it's still outside. So, um, yeah, it was a fantastic thing. And I had sort of three years almost of, of apprenticeship, I always feel like, sort of just going up, which is something which I don't think really happens now, which is a huge, yeah, huge shame. So I was That's very exactly lucky. what I was thinking. I was thinking, uh, does anybody get that opportunity now? <laughs> just no. can't happen now can it no, you were so lucky to hit that time um, and i th i think it's a i suppose it works both ways because there's sort of a um i mean i didn't want to go and review the latest 911 straight away because i knew i wouldn't be able to do it justice and i held evo in such you know respect and i was i was obviously a reader before i ever joined them and loved the magazine um, and I didn't want the idea of me reviewing something in there until I was ready. I wanted to be, um, feel like I was you know, justifiably reviewing something. Um, so, yeah, whereas now I sort of sometimes, you know, there could, I suppose, have been a, an element of, yes, yes, I'll go and drive everything or anything and, yeah, yeah I can do it. And, um, yeah, so I wasn't yeah. like that. <laughs> what, what, was, what was your first main feature, you know, the one that you thought, right, I've now made it to... Evo and I feel comfortable in being a contributor. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, I suppose. I mean, the 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 moment when I think I thought, "Wow, this is this is it." Was the first time I wrote Car of the Year, yeah. um, which was two thousand and seven, um, and I think I probably only did it because Harry didn't really want to pay freelance um, rates for. Um, somebody else but um and peter tomlin who'd done it for years and years and done this incredible job um he would he'd sort of said that enough's enough i've got to have you know a bit of a break from yeah. from this um so yeah somehow i i stepped up and and wrote car of the year and that was yeah i i couldn't quite believe it. the first issue of evo i ever bought i read it from issue one so my best friend bought um or his father bought the first two issues and i bought issue three which is the first car of the year yeah um which is 996 um, one I know you're talking about in your 996 um, episode and saying how they had all the 996s winning year on year on year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just the the feeling of of writing um, the 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 ultimate article of of the year, I suppose. And it was yeah. I can't remember how many words it was, but it's sort of certainly um, you know over ten thousand words, um, getting on for fifteen thousand words or something. Oof. So that was yeah. A big a dissertation challenge. yeah <laughs> yes, that is a yeah. big job isn't it yeah so what your process whilst you're doing that are you a dictaphone guy or a notebook guy because you know if you're going to write fifteen thousand words you've got to have some stuff to go back on you can't do it all from memory yeah yes it was a a combination of both i think so i um and i got it completely wrong the first year i sort of went way overboard in terms of um recording everyone's uh, thoughts on dictaphone and then going back and transcribing all of that 
um, which just that took seemingly forever to kind of weaken <laughs> itself and was completely useless because then you realize that you change half the quotes anyway. <laughs> and yeah, you make them all much funnier than they really are. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, and so the subsequent years you end up, uh, you, you learn to, well, I suppose you just get confident in the fact that you can, you write, you jot down various thoughts and sort of you get people's overall um, things and then we tend to ask people for their um, notes as well. So that was always a, a huge help. But you, you want, so you realise that you get people's considered thoughts in their notes and what you really want are the, the fresh out of the car, the, the snap, yeah. sort of the scenes, I suppose, that I always remember Pete Tomlin doing so well, um, those sort of vignettes of just being there on the on the shoot and the the fun and the um yeah the the, uh, the not larking around but i suppose but well yeah some ways yeah 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 absolutely. the fun, the fun yeah. element of it yeah um, so yeah at that point you tend to um you occasionally put put words in people's mouths once <laughs> of which i think harry got quite annoyed about it because i i can't remember what i said about him or said that he had said um and he only read it sort of some reason about halfway through the next month when the issue was you know it will be on the shelves for about two weeks and he came in and said you know well, <laughs> I, didn't I don't say that should have, don't think you should have said that I was like well you were the editor you're meant to have read it before it goes to the press <laughs> <laughs> like it you had your chance <laughs> so 2007 would that have been the the green 997 RS winning yeah which was the year that um the yeah the 430 Scuderia um I think was the um car that perhaps harry had hoped might win and, uh, <laughs> uh, the rs i remember coming in, i was the last person back to the hotel because it was down near clermont ferrand um and i'd been out doing some last minute photos or something like that and then everyone had been doing their scores and i was the last person to give my scores and harry was there sort of waiting saying what are your scores and i said well i i've you haven't written them down yet and um and he said well what's your winner and I, I said it was the it's the Porsche, and he then sort of you know, <laughs> stormed off because he realised that was obviously the last hope for was me yeah. putting the Ferrari first or something um, to to win. So, so poor Harry knew he was going to get bulled out by Ferrari. Yeah, he had to go and have an awkward conversation, which is why we ended up, I think, having a a picture of all three of the top three as the final shot, so that the Ferrari was still in the shot. So, <laughs> the final sort of, you know, the winners podium sort of, you're all winners here, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, Fantastic. I'm keen to know uh, journalistically who your idol was, certainly going into the industry. Who inspired you? Um, it was, I suppose, it it was really, it, it was Evo, which is, you know, makes it really... Um, you know, I obviously watched Top Gear um, growing up, and so Tiff. You know, I always loved Tiff's bits yeah. uh, on on Top Gear, and but that I'd reading those those first sort of issues of of Evo um, at that sort of formative time when you're sort of thinking, yeah, you know, get to see careers advisors and all that sort of thing, and this was it just stood out as something really different, um, and the you know spoke to me is that's how that's what i wanted to do and then i suppose like i say peter tomlin the way he wrote um and wrote those car of the years always really appealed to me because it was and gave me hope i suppose as well because i didn't know i was hope you'd like to think you'll be able to drive um but the idea of being able to drive as well as um you know dickie or john 
you, you don't know if that's going to happen, but Peter was very, you know, self-confessed he could drive and do it very well and well enough to assess a car, but never had any desire to go racing or rallying. And yet he could write these beautiful reviews um, that just made you get the car straight away um, and enjoy the the whole the whole bit of of being in the car and enjoying it. So you really felt like you'd been in in the driver's seat, as they say. And so that gave me a lot of inspiration, I hope. And then and then Russell Bolgen was huge. Yeah, um, was somebody that I've I think sort of almost as I got into motoring journalism, I read more of his stuff and appreciated more of it. Um, he and, and David Vivian, you just were incredible in the way that they could turn a phrase and, and craft the English language, um, bend it to their will and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And Belgian is somebody that I still very much go back to. Um, my parents actually managed to find um, for my, um, I had a biggish birthday recently and um, my present from them was um, the Belgian works that were collected together after he died um and uh were, they put them together for um charity and uh, gavin green and, and a few other people managed to collect them together and it was a pretty limited run and it's really really hard to find and i'd always had a, a look out for it and they managed to find a copy um which i which fantastic I so, um, looks a bit like the beatles white album because it's uh, um but yeah it's very very yeah. cool and i would dip back into that and um so yeah that's, yeah, that's, I suppose, who I looked up to. Harry also. certainly put an incredible roster of writers together at Evo, didn't he? And mm-hmm. and it felt like, you know, I, I read it, you know, I transferred from performance car to Evo reading, and it felt like there was a, you know, a freedom to be creative and perhaps write yeah. longer uh, articles than would perhaps be an auto car or something, or, you know. Mm. Maybe, weeklies, maybe weeklies that was like because that. he never edited it. <laughs> he only read it two weeks after. <laughs> he didn't know how many words there were, but but yeah, and and you know, and if there were, you know, and that he was able to, if there was a, you know, it, if a story would be really good if a car was available, then Harry might even buy it and things like that. Mm. There was a real feeling that there was that excitement and creativity there. Did you? I mean, it was your first magazine, but did you know? I guess because you're a fan, did 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 you know you're involved in something really special? Yes, it was. There was just a a really nice feeling in the office i sort of did work experience elsewhere as as well um but it, it was walking into that office um in sort of in a barn on a farm sort of thing there was that it was as you'd expect i think um in terms of reading the magazine um and we did i mean in those early days you look back and i know jethro said it quite a lot but it, it seems extraordinary the amount we'd probably sit around and and chat about cars and <laughs> just sort of come up with ideas and seemingly do absolutely no work until deadline week and then sitting <laughs> uh, <laughs> there headphones on looking down sort of trying yeah. to work out what they're gonna, <laughs> gonna write and peter sort of saying why haven't i got your words and sort of all that stuff so it was um and me probably just making tea and coffee endlessly in the first <laughs> first few years but uh it was um yeah they it was such a lovely place to work and um um i feel yeah very lucky and harry was was this sort of um benevolent father figure in a way for um for all of us for for a lot of the time um and obviously he wasn't he wasn't a journalist um starting out by by any stretch but certainly had a a good nose for things that 
if he again if he was interested in it and i think that was one of the things when you sit around in editorial meetings it was a case of if we're interested in it or if somebody is sufficiently interested in a subject then it will be an interesting feature yeah. which doesn't always work but but by and large um uh, it was a pretty good barometer i think um yeah. and um yeah harry was the i suppose the the reason i did get into the magazine so i think the first time i ever met him was at the goodwood festival of speed and it was in a 996 turbo um ah. which um would have been wearing 911 hull uh, going up the hill and i managed to sit next to him in the passenger seat and he had uh c8 ufo which was the 993 turbo at the time so and then i think you know after the festival he did a bit of a back-to-back between the mm. two um and um yeah that was the first time i met him amazing how old were you then oh uh i would have been uh 17 i think 17 or 18 wow what an opportunity um, at 17 i think so yeah i used to I'm sure I said it before, but go. I live not that far from Goodwood, so I went to the Festival of Speed from sort of pretty early years. Yeah. And quite early on, worked out that when people were doing the supercar run, they often had uh, the passenger seat empty. Some cars had passengers in, some cars didn't. So, I thought, well, why couldn't I be one of the passengers? Um, <laughs> Brilliant. One of these, those empty seats. But I wasn't a particularly sort of bold or precocious sort of child. Um, but I gradually, over a number of years, worked out that sort of you know, I'd go up and ask and the first time, have you got a crash helmet? No, I haven't got a crash helmet. So next year I turned up with my father's um, motorcycle crash helmet, which is far too big for me, but did the job. <laughs> oh, good, you've got a crash helmet. Have you signed on? So that year fell, fell at the final hurdle again. <laughs> um, year after that, I managed to blag my way into the driver's club, had the helmet, had to get my father to sign me on because I was too young to sign my life away at that point. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then from that moment onwards, managed to sort of every year, Blagged my way into oh, various brilliant. passengers. Do you think so, Harry remembered that ride? Remembered um, this uh, tall kid that, <laughs> that managed to get in his car? Um, I don't know. Probably, probably. I don't know if he does does or not. I, yeah. I have somewhere still the um, letter. Um, it was pinned to my sort of cork board next to my desk at Evo for um, all the years that I was there. Of the thank you letter that I wrote to Harry. Um, and the sort of the days afterwards um yeah. and sadly it was the year that a marshal got killed at the top of the hill oh. um and um, so he said that sort of somewhere in the letter about that and uh yeah so he and he dug that letter out um or found it when he was throwing pieces of paper away so um gave it back oh. to me seems amazing terrible, terrible handwriting <laughs> had you been born into a family of car enthusiasts then is that why you would be at goodwood other than being fairly local was that uh yes yeah my, my parents um love cars um they were they met through the the mg car club um and um i think at the time my mother had had an mgtf 1500 and uh my father had an mga 1500 so she had sort of the this sort of that switch in MG yeah yeah really, the very different styles but actually they had the same same engine um in the two yeah. two cars so uh so yes they they always love cars and um it was um i was very lucky so looking back wandering around um places like goodwood with them because you know my father obviously was it, it wasn't just a go there and and look at all the metal he would always say all well, that so and so or you know um, 
sort of you know, watching Mark Sierra driving up the hill and saying, well, you know, watch him. He's a sort of, he was a real trier and sort of sure enough, I mean, absolutely ringing some sort of BMW up the, up the hill yeah. at the time. And, um, yeah, so definitely yeah. born into a family of car enthusiasts. And how about the rally thing? Cause you're a big rally guy, aren't you? Where did that, where did that mm. come from? That's a bit harder to pin down really, because my parents weren't certainly weren't into rallying. Um, and I just, yeah, I remember seeing it must have been on grandstand or something. It must have been a report um, from rallying. And there's that famous shot of uh, Salika, was it, I think now it's ST185, I think, sort of high up in the air, Castrol livery, yeah. um, mountain behind, and um, must be a McLean image. And thinking, wow, that just looks incredible. And it just just appealed to me. Um, so I, and I obviously remember you know the a bit of the the mccray fever um but but i wasn't i certainly wasn't immersed in that world and it was something that came later and the more i looked into it the more i loved it and the more i got to drive cars on a loose surface um that really appealed as well uh, and then obviously i was lucky enough to go and do the sort of british rally championship and stuff um with evo so yeah, it, it went from there. And I think there was a there was an element of all the other guys in Evo did racing. Um and Dickie had done bits of rallying and stuff, but but fundamentally all the invites that came in to go and do racing went to them. Um and so it was also um I I managed to annex rallying for myself, which was pretty wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Have you had the opportunity so, to sit alongside any modern Rally drivers, obviously, you had the, you know, the the, uh, the experience previously. But anyone like Loeb or anyone like that, you spent yes, any time. Yeah, yeah, I've been very lucky. I've um, yeah, I sat next to Loeb um, in his uh, Citroen uh, Citroen C4 WRC car, um, which in fact I drove um, last year. Last year, so that was a, a nice sort of completing of the circle. Yeah, uh, that was yeah, just extraordinary. So that was 2008 when I was um, actually doing quite a lot of rallying for the first time. Um, and I just remember his, um, he's just so cool. Yeah, he is. He's, just, he's, he's a special guy. If he was, you know, if he was, if he was still an electrician in Alsace, he would still be cool. <laughs> and he has a, you know, it doesn't, the fact he has nine world titles, um, it, it's sort of, he almost sort of shrugs it off and it's that, wonderful um i suppose insouciance isn't it sort of i suppose given he's french um and he always looks like it doesn't actually matter to him if he yeah. wins or not yeah which just makes it there's something of almost the sort of corinthian spirit about him um and in in the car he has that same complete he's just so on top of it and has so much time in the car you know you're yeah. flying through the air i never forget on this test track we're on it was a, a strange um loop where it wasn't a sort of the the sort of jump that's built up out of the ground we went down into this dip and then just came up over this this crest and the car took off i mean goodness knows how high it was in the air there's a photo somewhere and it looked like you could sort of walk underneath it and the first time i we went over it you had time to think in the air whisked wow. in the air Jeez. and there was this left hander afterwards and you just you know landed catch the slide and then it sort of went round into this long um tightened into this left-hand hairpin and just 
I'd always sort of thought people, you know, snatching at the handbrake to kind of, you know, get the car in. And he just, there was this wonderfully sort of almost laconic sort of pull of the handbrake um, to get us round. Absolutely perfect. Big, long corner, lots of ruts. Dust comes in through the side window, gets a bit in his eye. And he's just, sort of, you know, looking through the yeah. eyes. Pays <laughs> completely unabated. And yeah, it's just, and all the stories you hear about him, there's this sort of mystique around him. And yeah. He just, he wears it all so lightly and all he wants to do is have a glass of red wine and um yeah he's amazing smoke. he's a real so, hero just imagine if he was still an electrician in nazas how quickly he'd drive his bilingo <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be a quick bilingo the quickest sparky in the west yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible yeah, yeah it's great so, that you chat so effusively about him like you know it's yeah. clearly a big passion for you yeah no he's he's um yeah he, he's he's a remarkable um, remarkable guy and um, other people sort of i suppose um uh, chris meek was somebody i got to know over the over the years and sit i sat next to him a few times and he is in terms of raw pace and i suppose they've always it's always sort of been said but he has just absolute raw pace in terms of his um when he gets behind the wheel and it's it's so precise uh the way he can uh drive a car uh, so that's yeah he was somebody that always stood out as being pretty pretty extraordinary in terms yeah. of his his talents as well so, i'd yeah. um henry i'd like to kind of skip forward to to the present day and just mm. dive into haggerty i'd kind of like to mm. understand how your new role at haggerty came about and, and the switch evidently <laughs> from carfection yeah um so carfection yeah it's fantastic five years um mm. sadly they pulled the plug um oh really uh, oh. Uh, it's um i think my my final film for them should be going out fairly fairly soon which is obviously shot some some time ago um and i don't quite know what the future for it is uh but um but yeah that's for that's for somebody else to yeah. decide and, and tell um but yeah it was um uh, i got the, the call saying it was it was going um not looking not looking good and um uh, so my my role, as it were, was, was certainly going to be downsized a huge amount, if not disappear altogether. Um, thankfully, actually, um, Haggerty had already sort of we'd done bits and bobs with Haggerty at Carfection, um, and they'd always stayed in touch. And um, I think had seen perhaps the writing was on the wall, and we'd been chatting anyway. And this opportunity came along, um, and it was um, yeah, I think it's a perhaps there's a bit of sort of Instagram versus reality sort of side. It all looks wonderfully dovetailed. In fact, it was just a, um, a lot of serendipitous um, um, sort of conversations, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I'm now at, now at Haggerty and film every other week. And it's, uh, yeah, obviously I'd seen what they were doing. Jason Kamisa's films are pretty extraordinary. Um, the ones he's been doing out in, out in the U S uh, so yeah, but they weren't getting necessarily some of the content from across in Europe. And so, yeah, I get to do that, which is fantastic great. opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Superb, superb. With a big grin as well. I hope, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. important to point out to people, you know, being kind of relishing the opportunity and, um, yeah, you know, so, what, well, it's, what it's, so, it's so nice and so lucky to find somewhere else that, you know, I was very lucky at Carfection that they let me do what I wanted to do um and we grew the channel so we knew that it was working people wanted to watch it which is always a relief because if they didn't then i wouldn't get to do it but to make as we said before the sort of 
we know what probably works really really well on youtube um but that's there are plenty of other people out there doing that and it's not really what i want to do or probably what i can do so yeah it's just really nice to find somewhere else that appreciates um yeah what we're trying to achieve with films um so yeah brilliant yeah for, for me i i just kind of like to get across the the point of reading evo back in the day when you know you, you described earlier on in the podcast they were all your idols journalistically you know they certainly were mine as well and when we used to get evo delivered to the office but then also to to my house as well that was always just like automotive art compacted amongst uh paper and ink you know and, yeah. and i kind of feel like that has transitioned and what you're doing now has kind of transitioned that like approach to art into video and and i yeah. think that's kind of what stands out amongst the absolute like pantheon of other <laughs> realms of content that youtube will kind of deliver to us all on a daily basis it's almost too much and quite overwhelming um what what you do and what you have done is kind of slightly more distilled and and it just it feels like art mm. yeah well thank you Lee. So, yeah i think it's i always think like you say evo was that is such a great blend of words and pictures and what I always really enjoyed. So I always loved working with the photographers there, you know, brilliant people, Gus Gregory, Andy, Andy Morgan, Aston Dean, all of, all of them, Kenny P. Um, and to go out with them and, and really work with them to get the photos that were going to match the story. And then, you know, the fantastic art directors that would bring them together. Um, and it's, it sort of felt a bit like, um yeah that sort of it, it was the magazine equivalent of, of video in a way sort of um mm. or magazine with a the still image version of a of a video because you have this this blend of of words and, and pictures uh so yeah it, it seemed only right to kind of want to try and yeah I, I love the i love the visual side of it i suppose is what i'm trying to yeah. say mm. so it's interesting you mentioned earlier on you took some of that inspiration from the you know the mountain bike and the you know the skiing kind of <laughs> films you know i watched some of those skiing films and i can see you know the you know where you've taken that that style from and it works yeah it works really well i've got to say well it was always the i always loved doing the drive stories at evo and love those ones the, the sort of images that i think as you say you'd find in evo that you wouldn't necessarily find anywhere else of the where the car was almost incidental to the photograph and you could have yeah. this big double page spread of um, an amazing landscape and an awesome bit of road um, and you could have the car small because evo realized you didn't have to have the car big in every shot because there was so much more to driving than just the car oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah i think that's um, I guess you need someone like Harry at the helm to give you the freedom to create that 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 sort of content. And you've sort of not made it your own exactly, but it's definitely something that you're known for. I I wondered, um, I'm not sure if people, some people might not know how much you're into cycling and you write for cycling magazines as well. Do you identify some of those roads because they're, you know, popular cycling passes or is it historic motorsport <laughs> things or is it a skiing thing? You know, where does it come um, from? Uh, I suppose it's... I don't know really. I, I think it's sort of, I love the, the old sort of old historic motorsport routes um, thing. That was always very appealing and um, certainly an easy sell as a, as a story. Um, the cycling thing came about, I only really started road cycling after I was at Evo actually. Um, 
like so many people. I'd always mountain biked mm-hmm. and then got injured running, um, bought my first road bike and never looked back sort of thing. Um, and certainly it's, it's in, I've certainly found a lot more roads through road cycling over the years and, and you watch Tour de France and you sort of think, well, that looks pretty good. And, mm-hmm. um, and I've cycled a lot of roads that I've then been back to in cars and, and vice versa as well. Um, which is always um, always fun, and uh, I did something for the intercooler recently about um, actually it's it's quite bizarre because the things that cyclists look for in roads and the things that um, you know we look for in driving roads actually are really not that similar a lot of the time because um, cyclists generally just want to test themselves and yes the landscape's amazing but equally if you can find a really hard steep hill somewhere then it doesn't matter if it's not um yeah beautiful beautiful setting and likewise you know driving road you want good sight lines and sort of that lovely flow that doesn't necessarily you're never going to find on a on a bicycle um generally cyclists always seem to want to go uphill um rather yeah. than down certainly on a road bike which i always find quite confusing yeah you have to uh, earn your descents I, I I exactly i love descending on a road bike it's brilliant yeah um, and um but so, yeah there we go somebody says somebody said that to me once as well henry and i didn't understand he said cycling is all about climbing yeah it's like get yeah. out of town it's all about going down it's all about descending <laughs> but then but then he said no, he said no you have to earn he said you have to earn your descents and yeah. i sort of yeah. thought okay yeah all right yeah. <laughs> what's that uh, Henry, what's your favourite slither of tarmac then on planet Earth? Oh, for a um, car, I have to qualify. <laughs> for a car, um, oh, I mean, I, a question. I, I mean, Scotland uh, is sort of close to my heart, um, anyway, and there's something about. Um, I, I think the sort of the the tarmac in the UK and the the unique test of British roads, which we know certainly don't suit every car and bamboozle um, a certain number of them. And um, it's arguably why Porsches have done so well over the years um, in, in Evo tests, et cetera, because they do seem to seem to get it. Um, so I think, I mean, I've, I did a video years ago up on the, the old military road going up through the Cairngorms um, in, in Scotland. Um, but there are so many, wonderful roads up there and some fantastic roads in the borders as well in fact so i think a sort of a scottish tour is pretty pretty hard to beat from all the the things that i've all the places that i've been and um, roads that i've 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 driven um and it's still pretty spectacular as well actually we all sort of of all the the big mountains that i've been to scotland still has a a grandeur to it that um, um i think is pretty amazing so um yeah there's one one of the ecote uh videos i can't it might be the year that the cayman gt4 one when you're in scotland with the and the frank kitties were there it was that year it's a really great yeah what a year to miss it's, it's, every, it's everyone's favorite ecote and i wasn't <laughs> i try not to get offended by it but you know <laughs> that looks incredible i've never wanted reason. to go to scotland more for, yeah yeah i know i had good reason for not being there but um but yeah yeah. So, I mean, we'd be vilified by our listeners if we didn't talk about Porsches with you, Henry. Mm. So, I mean, your your time at Evo, obviously, you know, Evo gets heat for being Porsche biased. What's your <laughs> your personal 911 journey through the generations? You know, tell us about your feelings about the Porsche 911. 
Yeah, I, I'm sure I was one of the people that, um, you know, I didn't actually write to them, obviously, and um, I wanted a job there, so I probably wouldn't have said to their face, but I was, I mean, I was a Ferrari fan growing up, um, and Porsche was, like I think to a lot of people, I still see it now and I get it, they couldn't understand quite how brilliant they were, and I don't think you do get it until you drive one, mm. um, and then I had that journey like everyone else, sort of, um, you drive one and go, oh, right yeah and then you fall in love and you become you go to the other side of the fence and suddenly um people are sort of why do you like them so much and, and all that. <laughs> um but yeah i think the first uh certainly the first 911 i ever drove was a 993 harry had he as harry did you know bought uh, a 993 for us to run as a long term at evo um and it was i did a couple of days um sort of uh, driver tuition with John Lyon um, and we did the on-road driving and then uh, went to Myra and the, um, the the wet handling circuit there and the, the skid pan and stuff um, and that was my my introduction to to 911s which was um, was a pretty pretty good one and then not bad I suppose <laughs> yeah so the 997 had just come out when I started at Evo so that was that was sort of my in the same way that it was the 996 for Jethro, it was the it was definitely the 997 uh, for me as, as the first um, first 911, and I I have real um, sort of real soft spot for that first 997 GT3, um, and I, that was a that was a really formative car for me in terms of how much when it really got under my skin um, because it was on Evo Car of the Year. 2006 i think it probably was um must have been um which was down on the sort of route napoleon um region and i spent an awful lot of time in that car um because it actually uh well because i i loved it but also and i did i remember giving the local gendarmes a um, passenger ride up a um, particularly twisty bit of hill um some sort of ferrari and i yeah i remember driving this policeman down the down the hill and sort of trying to like we were saying earlier you said, don't know quite how fast to drive but i was like okay sort of drive quickly but relatively sensibly down the hill and came back up and he was sort of sitting there very stoic sort of not showing any emotion whatsoever and we came back up the hill and got to the first hair and i was sodded and mm-hmm. um bunged it in give it the big sort of sideways out of the um out of the corner the face lit up and he sort of you know got the big old thumbs up and um, <laughs> and, um so that informed the rest of the run back up the hill then um and uh anyway the car then got a it got a puncture and trying to find um I know you're saying you know, they they about actually trying to get hold of tires when you're abroad. Yeah, it's, and this was obviously it was uh, would have been a um, passport cup, I suppose, um, on that. And trying to get hold of one was you know nigh on impossible. Um, and I ended up spending an entire day sitting in Porsche Marseille uh, waiting for this tire to turn up. And Man. there was all sorts of communication about the cars here because it'd been taken away on a flatbed to to get down there the car's here and we've got the tire then the tire was apparently there but the car wasn't there and then two young guys came out of the workshop and go wow the car's really cool we just need to go and take check that the tire's sort of you know all right disappeared like 45 minutes later they came back um <laughs> grinning sort of from ear to ear sort of going the car's amazing it's like yeah i know the car's amazing <laughs> so, um and then i sort of um which is why the gt3 never appeared in the big group shot for that um, Ecoti because it was off um, 
getting its getting its memory of tar fixed, and then I drove it back up through all the way back up to Stuttgart, um, and um, in the pouring rain a lot of the time as well, which on cup tires was not yeah not um, a great yeah. place to be <laughs> not a great place to be. I mean, yeah, slip roads were uh, really really pretty interesting, but um, but yeah, I just I absolutely adored that car and that that sealed kind of my my absolute um, love of of Porsches, uh, I suppose early on. <laughs> excellent absolutely excellent. yeah there's a, i have a, a, a funny story to share quickly and uh henry i very much doubt you'll remember it but um it was a bit of a cringe moment for me as a journalist actually so we we were guests with porsche gb i think it was for the uh the what car awards mm. maybe january 2014 2015 something like that and uh any case after the awards we were all getting shuttled back to whether where Porsche were putting us up and and you and I had got a lift with um we well we were in a Panamera we were having a chat with the driver who's a splendid chap mm. and I think you had recently driven a 959 and I thought yeah that conversation <laughs> I, I remember being like really really shy and I remember saying to you um oh she's driven a 959 lately and you said yeah 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 and I said uh because I thought this is my moment and I said uh, oh, was it was it left or right hand drive and you just <laughs> Calm as you like, just went. Well, of course, they're all left hand drive, and uh, I've never wanted the ground, I just wanted to be out of that Panamera. And uh, it's kind of like haunted me since, but yeah, you you handled it like a champ. Yeah, uh... I'm glad I I wasn't the total. Um, I've just always remembered it. Been, um, I think that was the museum's car, must have been museum's car, I think, because it was the red, um. S, I think, or Sport, um, one which they have over there. So, um, yeah, that was um, we had a Carrera GT there as well. Um, I think on that that sheet, and the yeah. extraordinary things I get to go and do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it left or right hand drive? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I recall Henry that you enjoyed the nine hundred one point two GT three so much that you actually made two videos about it. You did an assessment <laughs> on it, and then you did a sort of why manuals matter thing. I remember mm. you seemed to particularly like that car. That was a car that you would buy, I remember you saying, if you won the lottery. Is that still a yes. particular 911 that you aspire to? Yeah, so I think that sort of, I mean, that, so I'd always, I suppose once I started doing the job for a while and and the, the classic question was, um, so if you could have any car, what car would you buy sort of, you know, party where somebody finds out what you do for a living and it's obviously that you can't launch into the sort of the considered five or ten gar- garage you know <laughs> car answer about sort of why you'd have all of them because people's eyes glaze over so I, I eventually sort of came up with this thing and said well if I won the lottery the first car I'd go out and buy the following day was a GT3 um, because that was pretty much you know I'd, I'd then have a long hard think about what else that you know, I'd want in my my dream garage, and it sort of um, gave people an answer that they were hopefully satisfied with. Um, and I remember the 991 Gen 1 GT3, uh, amazing though it was, uh, was the first one that sort of made me think, um, I'm not sure it is the first car I'd go out and buy, sort of, um, because it just, well, that generation, it was, it was well known, it, it just didn't quite hit the right notes for various reasons um still one car of the year obviously um but uh it was um but then the 901 gen 2 came back and obviously the manual came back and 
I had this idea of doing a film sort of more generally about manuals and I convinced um Carfection I sort of said this is this is I think I'd like to do this video please can we go and do it I said yeah and I think the, half the reason I sold it to them was I said we can we can do this film but we can also get a review of the car out of it at the same time because we just use the same footage and I'll just you know we just leave the cameras rolling in the car and I'll do my bits to camera about manuals and then I'll do my bits about reviewing um G3 as well um but we put the manuals film out first and I was really nervous I was away on holiday at the time um when it went out and I remember sort of you know logging on to sort of see if I was getting absolutely pilloried for you know talking about manual gearboxes and not really about the GT3 and giving it a proper review and thankfully it wasn't the case and people did get what I was talking about and that was good um but that's how it came about that I then got to sort of do two videos on that car and it was again I remember driving that car for the first time and it was wet um and the steering was just beautiful and gave you all the feedback you possibly want you got a manual back in there and it just it was the nine the gt3 was back as far as i was concerned and it, it, it very much took back up that spot on my you know generic answer to the yeah. one car would you, yeah. car yeah. would you, you buy you only have one so yeah yeah have you have you spent enough time in a 991r to to take a view on whether you think it's a more special car or a more enjoyable car than a non-M1 GT3. But apart from, um, there's a special video, by the way, and sorry to buy, but there's a special video of Henry hitting two tarn or there or thereabouts in an oh, yeah. barn in an R11R, which is spectacular, by the way. Um, yeah, that was that was quite a trick because we had it for um, Evo tests or whatever. And, and I think the stipulation was we managed to keep it for an extra day if we then drove it back to Stuttgart. So somebody else did the did the test and the review. And then it was um, Anthony Ingram, um, who actually now does um, work for Haggerty uh, UK as well. And he and I were literally got the keys and then drove from North Wales or wherever um, all the way down to uh, Stuttgart in, in pretty much one hit. But I had a message from Andreas Proninger on the way down saying sort of, and we'd, we'd, it's one of those miscommunications i suppose in some ways of the press office and everyone's saying this car has to be back by then you have to deliver it sort of you know it's absolutely imperative it gets there and yeah. then a message from andreas pointing saying don't you dare just sit on the autobahn the whole way down there you know, it's not a, <laughs> this is this is not a car for um just doing that make sure you go and you know drive some decent roads um on the way way down which is all well and good but given we were going to get there at about sort of one in the morning anyway sort of extending that further and further into the night yeah um but um we did go from there's the road across from uh across to prum um as you go down which i knew was a really really good good bit of road so we cut off there um and i had all the, the notes because it was you know sat nav in in that car um so i just written them all on a piece of paper and stuck it to the dashboard old um, school so I knew which one <clears throat> exactly yeah so i knew exactly yeah. where i was going um and yeah howling through the through the night on that piece of piece of road and sort of it was it's an engine that to sort of come back to your question about that versus uh 901 gen 2 um uh, in some ways it's a more special car but i think the engine it, it definitely comes alive higher up so it does feel more special when you access it but then the extra talk of the 901 gen 2's engine probably makes it a 
sort of more enjoyable everyday car sort of yeah. I was, yeah, I was overall like, experience. driving a gt3 every day so i was sort of thinking about it like that so yes in some ways the it's a the 901 gen 2 to me is almost a better car but perhaps the 9991 r is a more special car yeah sounds yeah, like a compact but, no, but completely that makes, makes sense yeah no yeah. it does make yeah. sense thank you because you you um, kind of brought up that 200 um, run which was completely we didn't go up and down the motorway sort of doing that we did i think we got to the end of the really good bit of road and then pulled into the petrol station and again i had a gopro with me because i bought one and um we literally filled up and i went oh stick it on there because i know this bit's de-restricted and you never know and um we just hit that that right bit of time of day and just went straight out and and, did and didn't i don't think we actually i think we said we hit 200 miles an hour and then somebody pointed out that it was like 0.3 of a mile an hour short really sort of like trust me it felt quick enough kind of going yeah um, particularly because of aero and that you know, i've been used to i've done a must done reasonable speeds in um sort of winged gt3s and g3rs's and you know you drive a g3rs at 180 miles an hour and it feels absolutely nailed mm. um to the road with the aero and the the r was really rapid sort of you know you get to 180 and you just kept going it really accelerated because oh, it just felt so so slippery um but through the sort of those big autobahn sweepers yeah. um was quite interesting yeah um so anyway there we go <laughs> very ballsy very ballsy uh yeah i think it'd be great to um finish up so we we have like our nine works marketplace car of the week every week mm. and i know max has uh, uh sent you a link to maybe choose like you know your car of the week this week just to yes. mix things up so uh yeah, yeah henry catchpole what what is your kind of car of the week from from the nine works marketplace this podcast is endorsed by the nine works marketplace Tailored for enthusiasts, this is your first port of call for buying quality Porsche sports cars from trusted dealers with warranty, finance, and independent inspections all available. <laughs> well, I had a look through and um, uh, it was, I was tempted, there was a silver um, 907 Gen 1 GT3 with a, a comfort seat, because I've been in a, in a bit of a kind of like, oh, perhaps that would be the GT3 I'd go and go and buy if I won the lottery. Um, and there was a CSR on there as well, which is really fun. I really enjoyed that. And again, 907. And then there's a 996 Gen 2 GT3 on there um, in blue. And it's kind of, there was just something about it that that spoke to me and i kind of it's, it's weird isn't it how you you that that whole sort of you i think sometimes we all get sort of assume that you're going to nail your colors to the mast and there's going to be just one car or one 911 gt3 that is the one and i i certainly go through these these waves of sort of something just appealing to me sort of for you know a few months a few years sort of might be a couple of weeks or whatever but at the moment the idea of um, that 996 um, Gen 2 GT3 and in that colour as well because it was the same colour as my very first proper mountain bike that I saved up and bought when I was about 13 <laughs> to Trek it 20 <laughs> which I still have at home brilliant reference. Kind of that, that kind of like colour just um, yeah looked brilliant and I thought that car yeah I would I would love to that's own that that's great song. that's a Drive lovely that choice day, so. <laughs> that's yeah, a RPM choice. Technic I think isn't it I think so uh, yeah. 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 yeah 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 lovely car so, yeah yeah 
There Excellent. Go. That's my choice. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Henry, what a conversation it's been. Like we're so grateful, you know, as yeah, we always are to all our guests on the podcast. But thank you so oh, much for your time today. <laughs> not at all. It's been a pleasure to have a chat and I've had coffee. So yeah, I'm, I'm not anyone that's spent time with me on um, sheets knows that I'm not I love being up early in the morning. I'm terrible at getting up early in the morning. So kind of actually getting out of bed is is quite tricky for me but um, thankfully i have coffee so it's all, all <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll well, tell you something yeah. i wanted to ask you actually henry when you did the portofino m from bath to western mm, um, yes where, where did you get the coffee from uh was it from that little place on the corner of trim street or did you go around to colonna and it, small it was from the the pop-up on trim street it oh, was, it was. Um, yeah, yeah so it was which was still colonna um and um uh yeah had an amazing i had far too much coffee because it was so good um i had two of that they had they had one of their rare rare beans on there and it was um actually i'm drinking colonna today so it's special uh, coffee it is um oh it's it's um the best so yeah, yeah i can i can pretty pretty much guarantee <laughs> sorry <laughs> lee we... i just had to ask that <laughs> should we have a last question which is uh what is your favorite coffee shop mm. oh yeah well that might be the answer but so, on, yeah uh so well most people uh from my instagram know that i probably um i'm very lucky i've got coffee shops sort of near near milton Keynes where i um live uh, out of office and they they serve um colonna um coffee which is is really good so that's probably my where i'm to be found writing sort of when i have lots of words to do i'll go and sit in there and and um and write um the other place that i came across sort of recently um i always enjoy i've got the the best coffee app on my phone and it's been a really nice thing to actually um if I'm doing a journey, that sort of whole it's back to the delivering the 911R back again, um, but sort of and actually making yourself make detours. Yeah, uh, a little destination. Actually, exactly. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. on a long journey, I'll you know try and add in just enough time at least to go and um, divert via um, a decent coffee shop and go and find out what it's what it's like. So I, I enjoy really enjoy doing that. Found um, cast iron coffee roasters down near Goodwood. If anyone's going to Goodwood, and you're particularly near the circuit, it's only like a mile away on a little industrial estate um, and um, they roast all the coffee down there and uh, yeah cast iron coffee roasters was um, another recommendation definitely that was that was very good so uh, yeah, i'm go. not far from mk henry i'm closer to aylesbury <laughs> than i am to mk but i'm in that neck mm. of the woods um there's a place so called the espresso called, lounge the espresso um, lounge i love mm. i also love norsk in haddenham have you been there oh, <laughs> no i haven't really been there, good so we should go there i'll meet you over there i'll yeah, buy you a coffee <laughs> <laughs> excellent yeah fantastic. fantastic well henry i think it just leaves up for us to say very best of luck with uh the haggerty and uh, you know everything else that you, that you do and we just implore you to, to keep doing what you're doing and uh, and that is really top level journalism and, and automotive art really as a, as a pioneer of it and, and i think <laughs> it's really important to keep flying that flag particularly in, in this day and age where it's just about throwing so much content at the wall i think what you're doing <laughs> is very left field of that and, and you know absolutely employed to keep doing that yeah oh, thank yeah. you Lee. that's very very kind of you yeah, yeah. thank you henry we really appreciate your time today thank yeah, you it's been marvelous sure. thank you sure. <laughs> how awesome was that chaps absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant henry's definitely one of us <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah real nice relaxed interview wasn't it it's was just i could i could have gone on for another hour i don't yeah. know about you guys yeah should no, we get absolutely. him on for another part two sometime yeah let's do <laughs> let's get him back next got, week got plenty more to discuss i think yeah yeah you know a, a real genuine bloke there and um a bit of a relief in that regard you know they they say about never meeting your heroes and whatnot so um 
That turned out to be not true on this occasion. <laughs> Better than your previous meetings with him. Absolutely. Well, uh, yes, exactly that. Yeah, because I wasn't throwing myself under a bus with uh, what side of the steering wheel and uh, was like, well, what side? Of, yeah, you know what? I, was, I can't speak. Yeah. Of, but yeah. <laughs> Nine five nine and steering wheel flustered again, aren't you? Here. Well, you know, again, I just I I think that is absolutely brilliant. I really do, and um, yeah, nice, genuine, humble bloke. So, Henry, thank you very much for for coming on yeah, Nine Radio. You. Yeah, thank and you. thank you so much for all of the content that you've put out. Um, I think the videos that he puts out are just epic i think they're so well considered they're, they're just a continuation of his amazing work that he, he did in evo you feel like you're taken along for the story you learn stuff well considered humble just everything about his videos are fantastic in my eyes yeah and about you guys yeah great uh while we're gushing should we do spread the love why not yeah <laughs> <laughs> i like it cool. while we're gushing <laughs> all right who's gushing. going i went first last week who's going first this week I don't mind going first this week. Why not? So you're uh, ready. I, you're ready this week. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair play. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to, and this is kind of actually slightly um, inspired by Mr. Catchpole, but also somebody I know from the industry, uh, Jamie Arkell, um, a shout out to you, good sir. So we used to share the same floor at future publishing. I was at fast car magazine. He was on total Vauxhall magazine, uh, but he's, yeah, there we go. I mean, honestly, you have to believe me when I do mean they were the good old days. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Jake, Jamie's a really, really nice guy and, uh, has since gone on to, uh, get involved or actually found uh, the gravel crew so you would have seen henry in some of his videos wearing gravel crew attire t-shirts and whatnot um it's a really really cool it's a facebook page essentially um it's an online community dedicated to all that's good and great uh, about rallying there's some like vintage stories pictures uh, video snippets on there and yeah just kind of is a really kind of good inroad into that rally culture um so go and take a look some of the uh the posts that jamie does are absolutely excellent and uh, and grab yourself a t-shirt as well while you're there all right i like it cool max show me to go i'm going niche again this week oh yeah 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 i'm uh i'm spreading the love this week to fit life uh, so fit life is hey, a hey. fit life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fit life is a boutique gym uh, in the village of Haddenham, which is where Norsk is actually. Lee, be pleased to hear. <laughs> Same village as that. Um, and uh, it's it was founded and is run by a guy called Steve Gregory, who was um, a professional football player. He's from Haddenham, but who he for? Bournemouth. Ooh, oh, really? Fair play. He oh, plays for Bournemouth um amongst other people uh, um and returned to i think his vocation probably as it turned out is actually not football but it's actually coaching uh coaching people and training and fitness and he set up this club called fit life um and i joined it after lockdown and it is i know there are different kind of gyms for different kind of people and people like different things but if you want a club where the culture is inclusive and not intimidating and there's a lot of camaraderie uh, then fit life, I think is quite an unusual place in that space. Um, and Steve is just about to open his second site in Summertown in Oxford. So it's all Bucks Oxfordshire stuff, but you know, lucky people, if you live around there and you know, you have any gym intimidation or anything like that, you know, fit life is 
is a different kind of club and i think it's absolutely brilliant um there is a podcast actually there's a fit life podcast and i did um i did participate in the fit life podcast a couple of weeks ago it hasn't yet come to air but steve did a um a podcast have you got a nine works radio plug in <laughs> i think i did actually <laughs> good work but during during lockdown he did a he did a solo podcast about his story about his story you know from childhood into into uh, professional football and out the other side and trials and tribulations that went along went along the way and uh, he and i were chatting about that because it had quite a big impact on me personally and he said you know two years on i'd quite like to tell the story again or continue to tell the story so i offered yeah. to be the sort of um you know the facilitator of that conversation so we didn't just have to do it as a solo thing so that 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 hasn't been published yet but um that'll be coming out soon so there is a there are some really interesting podcast episodes that people could listen to but if you're lucky to live anywhere near Haddenham or Summertown in Oxford then there's a great um there's a great club to be part of as well nice recommendation nice recommendation good um talking of podcast getting on a podcast I've I've managed to get on another podcast you've been managed to get on the uh, You've been yeah, moonlighting. The Curb and Canyon guys, I got Curb and Canyon guys, I've got on there. So uh, yeah, that will be released. I think. Yeah, you've got 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 to spread the love around, haven't you? Or more like <laughs> just annoy people. <laughs> uh, my spread the love this week though is um, is something I've. It was I found it when doing some research for our interviews with Pat and Magnus Walker, um, and that was a little series that Justin Bell is. Um, putting together at the moment called life with legends it started off with uh, an interview with his dad um then he's done stefan johansson uh brian redmond pat long magnus walker and hurley haywood so far um really enjoy- i've only listened to three of them i think uh derek pat and magnus uh really enjoyed the pat and the magnus ones it was they were good interviews really nice and relaxed so i, I go and check those out i would say to justin i think you need to redo your one with your dad because it all really actually sounded just all about justin so you need to redo that one mate (laughs) but (laughs) otherwise um i thought they were really good um nice relaxed atmosphere and uh good chats um because he's got relationships with those people it's you know he sort of gets under the under the skin as it were yeah Yeah, that's a good show that's a good shout, Andy. I listened to, to or watched the um, the Pat Long one as part of my yeah. research for for chatting to a Pat, and it is yeah, it's really good. Really it's a nice nice interview that one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think nearly uh, as good as ours. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it'd be an apt time to revisit a chat of his dad, who recently celebrated. I think it was last week his eighty first birthday. So Indeed. happy yeah. birthday, Mister Derek Bell. Obviously, is a, a Nine Works Awards winner. He was our Nine Works Radio Guest of the Year. Yeah, uh, for Did this t- year. Did you guys see that um, picture that Nick from Cotswolds um, Porsche Club put up? I did, yeah. With McQueen. Yeah. Oh, it was like, who's the coolest of the awesome. two? I couldn't work out who was I think, cooler. I think it was Derek. I did as well, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Good. Right, anything Excellent. more? No, I think that's about it for today's extremely happy pod where we've been uh, sharing <laughs> sharing the love for the best part of an hour and a half here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, we'll speak to you next week. See you next week. See you later. This episode was brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com slash nineworksradio. Thank you.